about now. Oh, now you sound like a professional. That's why it was on the it was on the default mic, so I just talked for three minutes for nothing. Um, this is episode eighty nine of Snakes and Stogies. Phil is now with us. Yes. What are you smoking upon this eve? This evening, I busted out the Mad Mofo. Oh. Long live the king. Nice. A gift from the one and only Mr. Justin Smith. Is that, did I bring you those to Daytona? You did. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I can't get anything Codwall by me, so. That's right. Once I decompress, I'm going to light this up. So, uh, yeah, I text Rob the link, um, but he does not, excuse me, he does not have Facebook Messenger, so I don't know if he's going to be able to jump in or not uh, in that regard. So we'll give him a few minutes to jump in. Send it to him on Instagram. Uh, yeah, I didn't even think of that. Stand by. Let me do that. Copy. Insta. Oh, wait. There he is. He's right there. There he is. Man of the hour. Let's see. How's the best way to do this? Like the this? man of the hour. The man of the hey, hour. Hey, hey, hey. What's up? Look at that How background. I was, I was trying to figure out where I wanted to record this, and I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll Maybe down here. We just put in these enclosures, so we've got, like, this is going to be nice. our new Venomous room. Who made this, them? These are, be all, these are all Reptile Basics enclosures. Nice. Got a little king action in the background. Nice. Murder, death, and destruction. <laughs> Savage. It's actually, it's funny you're doing this because I was actually going to ask you about Venomous and Massachusetts laws and all that stuff. We can get in that later. Terrible. Sucks. It's the fucking worst. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> to put yeah, it lightly. Yeah, it's it's terrible. It's uh, it's all banned up here. There's no private ownership for anyone. Interesting. Yep. Interesting. Yup. Sucks. Well, okay. welcome to the show. Oh, look at that hat. I love this hat, dude. A little copperhead action. Ripping the eco wear. Love it. Hell yeah. Dude, I, I, you know what? I think everyone that's a legit Herbert has an has at least one eco wear. You got to have one. You got to have at least have one. one. I actually, I have two. I have a, a club ride. That's the Franklin Mountain club ride. Ooh, hell and, yeah. And I bought that hat at Daytona in 2004 when Eco, or maybe not four, maybe 2008, maybe. Anyway, EcoWare was at Daytona, and they had like a little tiny table. And I was like, I was like, hey, I have that rattlesnake. And the girl that was working the booth, she's like, okay. Uh, she's and not a good like, salesperson. Uh, be like, you got to buy that hat. You got the rattlesnake. You got to get right. the hat. Man. Exactly. Well, I did. I did buy the hat regardless. But one of my favorite EcoWare hats that I have is actually of a desert bighorn sheep, and I bought that at the visitor center at Zion in Utah, and it oh, was this yeah. like program where you donate like I don't know if it was fifty bucks something like that. You donate money, and you basically sponsor a bighorn, 
and That's I awesome. never I never registered the sheep. So like they can like they'll send you like pictures of your of your sheep and like tell you how little Bessie's doing, you know. But uh, I got Hell the certificate yeah. and I got an EcoWear hat. So oh, that was cool. Hell yeah. That's mint. Yeah, I've got this one, and then I've got a uh, Melosis, the blacktail rattlesnake, because I just I love those two. Those two are amazing. With the cop- copperheads and then the Melosis are just the yeah. best. Oh, man. So, Justin, what did you have on the agenda this evening? Uh, us just kicking it, man. I like it. I love it. The rules yeah. are there ain't no rules. Yeah, right? Hey. I dig it, man. I'm just trying to play around with this mic stand. Can y'all still hear me even if it's this far yeah. away from Okay. Yeah, I do. Yeah. You're good. You look like you're lounging, though. You look comfortable. I am, you dude. You look, it is, it's, look very comfortable. This is nice. This is what I've been working on for the better part of the morning and day. Just getting all this set up. I want to change the camera, though, because I don't. It's like I can either have it too close or too far away, but nowhere in between. So, yeah, it's a work in progress. But yeah, I was trying to decide whether I should do in here or we have another room that's got like a cool temp species. And it's got like planted exoterras in the back with like mm-hmm. a couple basins and stuff. I feel like the lights in here are a little, little strong. Well, are you using your phone or laptop? About phone. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was gonna say, well, you can, if you feel like changing the motif, feel free. <laughs> Yeah, let me let me just take a look and see what it would be like if I go in that room. You just spending the night over there. I live here, so. Like literally? Yeah, literally. Yeah. Really? That's crazy. Yep. Yeah. I was gonna say he's. Burning the midnight oil if he's hanging out there at nine o'clock. Yeah, man, that's nuts. Good for you though, man. I bet you I bet you it's easy to take care of your own collection. <laughs> uh, honestly, it's tougher because you, you always feel like there's something else to do with other animals and you gotta separate out your own time for your own stuff. Yeah. yeah. I can see that. Yeah, I definitely hey, can see uh, that. Maybe this is a little bit better in here. I'm gonna have to turn off the a- the AC unit. It looks cool, man. I love like little behind the scenes of nerd. Yeah, man. Yeah, this is this used to be our live streaming room for the beginning of COVID. We had live streams every week, and then now it's become cool temp species. So we got uh, basins, we got gargoyle geckos, we got lychees, we got chihuahuas that have all been breeding in here. Nice. Uh, what else? Northern emerald. We got abronia over there. Some tarantulas, emerald tree skinks, a little bit of everything in here. Dude, that's awesome. It's a good hodgepodge. Oh, yeah. There we go. Oh. How's the audio sound on my end? Because I'm, I'm using my, my regular headphones. So that's good. That's good. Sometimes yeah. it's a little sketchy. Yeah, man. The uh, I was actually gonna, I was actually going to ask. So, like, when you and Jeremy do your your podcast, like, do you guys have do you guys do the same thing that we're doing? Because I only um, I only listen to it. We're going to be doing that for the next couple months. Um, before he, when he lived up here, I would just go to his place. He's got a recording studio in his apartment, and he's got like really nice mics. So we would just sit right next to each other and record yeah. right there, and just do do that. And uh, and that was pretty easy. We did a couple remote ones, but we're going to be doing remote ones now for for a little bit. Okay, cool. 
I, uh, I had to make sure I was repping the brand. Hell yeah. yeah. Keeping it real. <laughs> so. Hell yeah. <clears throat> well, I like, these, I like these ones. They're fun. Yeah. So we, I know Jake has a ton. We had a handful at the, at Daytona and, uh, before we forget, this show is brought to you by Puget Sound Puget Pythons, Sound Pythons. Hell right yeah. up here in the corner. Uh, please go give them a follow. Facebook, Instagram. Uh, they have some YouTube videos that are very much worth checking out. So had to make sure we got them in before we really dove into things. Um, but yeah, we've been trying to get Rob on for a while now. So. Yeah, my schedule's stupid busy. I, I work at Nerd during the day, and then I work a night job at night, so I'm I hardly ever have twelve hours off in a row. What's it? What's it? What's a day in 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 the life of Rob for working at Nerd typically like? Um, what's, a, what's a Monday at Nerd? Well, can I can I real, real quick can I just rewind because like I feel like our core group of 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 people they definitely know who you are, but. So anyone who's just listening, do you want to like give like a little quick bio, like who who Rob is? Yeah, sure, I can do that. <laughs> like real, um, brief, you know, talk about your yeah, podcast, real, everything else. Real brief, yeah. Um, so I've been working at Nerd for well four years, almost five years now. Um, I do a little bit of everything at Nerd. I've done sales. I'm on our Venomous permit. I work with monitors. I do ball pythons, blood pythons, you name it, I do it. Um, currently I'm working with reticulated pythons a lot, and then I do almost all of the shipping for nerd. So anything that goes out of our building generally gets packaged up by me, you know, cool packs. We have someone who sets up labels and everything, but actually packing the animals into the boxes and everything. Usually that's, that's me doing it typically right now that changes, you know, week to week, but you know, for the last several months, it's mostly been me. And most, since I like did full time at nerd, I've been doing almost all the shipping for for nerd um i have been volunteering at nerd since i was 17 i just turned 32 so that's 15 years of when i was a kid and i got my license i'd come up here a couple times a week and just be like let me clean stuff let me learn things because i didn't realize that nerd was so close to me when i was a kid uh, i grew up an hour away from here so i didn't realize that this big of a place was so close and there's so many things that you can learn from a big place like this oh, yeah. so I've been coming here for 15 years, just volunteering my time, which we can't even allow volunteers anymore, but that's neither here nor there. Um, because of COVID or something else? Just the rules? Because change. of the state, the state basically. Uh, so we used to allow people to come here, and if they had a passion for reptiles or animals or they wanted to learn or kids who are interested and they just want to get hands-on with animals, we used to let people come here and volunteer, and they could uh, clean ball python enclosures or you know help us pick out roaches or do, do stuff like that. And then we would get a lot of like younger kids, kids who are like anywhere from like eight years old to 15 years old that would come and they just like loved animals. So they would come a couple times a week and hang out and grab rodents for, for customers or, you know, grab roaches or crickets for customers and stuff or help us clean ball pythons. And then uh, some hoity toity people showed up and were like, this is child labor. You're, forcing these children to work in work conditions and so they reported us to the labor board labor board showed up hey you can't have people who are not on payroll doing anything here so we're not allowed to take volunteers anymore which is a bummer because i get a lot of kids who just want to hold some snakes and clean some snakes and can't even do it mm -hmm. anymore wow that's nuts man. yeah and then yeah. by you do does the high school kids by you do they have um required volunteer hours or no 
Yes, they do. Like most of the schools do, but they yeah. can't. They couldn't. They couldn't even do it here. They could do it if they get school credits. So, like, if they got actual credits for it, they can do that. And it has to. It still has to get approved by the state labor board. And then, uh, if it's part of a work training program where they're getting paid, they can do it. Those are the only two exceptions that they've allowed us to have people come here and do volunteer work now. Wow. That's crazy. It's, it's a pain in the butt. Yeah. Because I, I literally had a couple of kids who would come a couple times a week. And when I told them that they couldn't volunteer anymore, they all of them cried. You know, they were just like so heartbroken because for a year they were coming here, you know, once a week with their parents. You know, the parents would come. They'd clean some snakes. They'd get to work with, you know, how many places you get to go to where you can work with 30 yeah. or 40 different species of snakes in one day. Oh, yeah. Um, for sure. So – so, you know, for a lot of those kids, it was such a bummer because they, they aren't able to do that anymore. Um, before all of this, I did educational programs with my mom. We had our own business where we did birthday parties, school programs, summer camps, libraries, you name it. We did it. Thousands of programs over, I think we did it for like eight, ten years, something like that. Wow. Um, so I did educational programs from the time that I was really little until I was an adult. Um, I've been doing programs for almost 20 years now. And uh, that's one of my favorite things to do is just teach people about reptiles. And what else? Me and Jeremy got a podcast called Reptile Talk where we just sit down with reptile people and just talk reptiles. Whatever topic comes up, you know, that's what we talk about. And, you know, Jeremy's goofy. I'm goofy. So we have a good time. We, we have a lot of fun with it. And, you know, wherever the conversation goes, that's where the conversation goes. We're actually setting it up um, right now so that we're going to be doing – um, monthly or bi-monthly check-ins with Phil Goss from US Arc so we can have a nice. conglomerate place where people, if they are going, what's US Arc doing right now? Right. They can come to Reptile Talk. It's going to be a 30-minute or 40-minute episode where we're just catching up, finding out what the regulations are doing, which states have alerts, which states need help, that sort of stuff. We just talked about him, uh, talked about doing that with him in Daytona. So we're just scheduling that out right now to be able to do that at least once a month to get something out there for people who are, you know, can't click on the US Arc website and read an alert, I guess. God <laughs> yeah. forbid. God I forbid. know. Hey, hey, whatever, man. If whatever's easiest, if they if that gets them to click, if that gets them to donate, if that gets them to sign up for US Arc, I'll do it. I don't care. Awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I've got all my, a bunch of my own animals that I work with and breed, uh, a variety of different species. I've done a little bit of everything. Like I said, I'm on the venomous permit here for nerds, so I work with our venomous stuff here. All right, so um, let's, let's dive into that. So you said that venomous is completely banned in Massachusetts? Yeah, all <laughs> of New England. There's no private ownership of venomous snakes anywhere in, this, in New England. So Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont, and Maine – no private ownership of venomous snakes. They will not get permits. Does not matter what you do. The old, there's only a, like a handful of facilities even that have permits. I know that the Museum of Science in Boston has a permit for venomous snakes so that they can have timber rattlesnakes and copperheads on display just so people can see their native venomous snakes and go, oh, that's what a timber rattlesnake is. I shouldn't kill a milk snake. I shouldn't kill a garter snake. Um, so they've got a couple of venomous snakes on display. Uh, rainforest reptiles in Beverly, Massachusetts, they've got um, a permit for venomous reptiles. Um, that's basically just so that when the state confiscates stuff, they have a place to shuffle it all so they don't have to euthanize it. Um, NERD is the only place in the state of New Hampshire that has a permit for venomous snakes. So um, our facility serves as that purpose for New Hampshire. If anyone has stuff illegally, it gets confiscated, it comes here to us. That's part of our conditional permit. Um, 
we have to take in anything that the state collects that's illegal for venomous stuff or for reptiles, basically. There's only three people on our permit here at NERD who are, you know, qualified to work with the venomous snakes. Kevin, the owner of NERD, Timmy, our venomous guy, and then I just got added to our permit last year. Um, it's been a long time coming, but yeah, I'm, I'm on the permit now. So Awesome. Awesome. Cool. So we're, awesome. we're, we're the only three people permitted in the state of New Hampshire to work with venomous snakes. And then um, Vermont, I don't think they have any permits out there for any facilities or private ownership. Uh, Maine does not have anyone in the state who has venomous permits. Uh, I think Connecticut... Yeah, that, well, there's, no, there's no permits. Yeah, <laughs> there, there, there's yeah. yeah, I'm sure there's people, but I don't, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> so, so hey, so so I feel like a moron. I thought you guys were in Massachusetts. You guys are in New Hampshire. We're in New Hampshire, but we are like a stone's throw from the Massachusetts border. Okay, okay, yeah, right. yeah. I don't feel that bad because New Hampshire is the actually the only state in New England where you can legally own water monitors without a permit. It's the only state in New England where you can own reticulated pythons without a permit. Every other state in New England, uh, both of those species are regulated, um, and not, none of those states around us will allow reticulated pythons or anacondas. They're big! Oh, my God! They're scary! Oh, yeah. so scary. That's you know crazy. what would happen if anacondas got established in New Hampshire? Mm. Don't talk to people in Maine because they had a, a situation a couple of years ago where someone saw a big water snake. They said it was an anaconda, and then it made national news. They'll wow. eat all the all the all the, the local beavers. Yeah. <laughs> and nutria. Wessy the Westbrook snake. You'll find all sorts of articles about an anaconda. So basically they someone saw a big water snake. They reported it to the police station. Police station reported it to the news and it went all over national news. Anaconda or giant snake in, in Maine, blah blah blah. And then uh, a week later, uh, Someone definitely planted a skin, but someone planted a anaconda skin along the river in that area. And, uh, oh, we DNA tested it. It's a green anaconda. There's an anaconda in the state of oh Maine. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. And I was living in Maine at the time. And so I was doing interviews being like, hey, look, anacondas do not live up here. If it, if if there was – like, it was so suspicious. It's not the Lake shed, Yeah, the shed was like – 10 feet away from the water and i'm like okay what anaconda is gonna pick to shed and like go up near a park to shed when they can shed right in the water why would they do that yeah. they wouldn't do that it's just it was all <clears throat> bullshit it's just crap oh man that's yeah. nuts yeah that's so nuts. new england's just like it's it's crazy for any sort of reptiles it's just not great as far as regulations go new hampshire is like the closest to being okay but there's no private ownership of venomous snakes but Aside from that, you can own whatever you want in New Hampshire, no permit required. So like even rear fang, you can have false water cobras, you can have boego without permits, you can have uh, toxicodryas, you can have any of that stuff, no permit. Um, but anything that's considered like lethal, so like boom slangs and up, that stuff is illegal. Telatornis. Yeah. It's that damn Dude. Tom Brady, man. <laughs> That's why Florida's now getting squirrely because he's moved. He's made his way down there. I don't yeah. follow any sports stuff. I, I've heard his name before, but I don't know anything about him. Yay, team sports. Yeah, yeah, go sports ball. Go, go sports ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We are nerds. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> huh. So, uh, so what are you personally keeping now? I know you got a handful of bloods and stuff, right? 
Yeah, I keep uh, mostly blood pythons, Borneo shorttail pythons, and scrub pythons are my my jam. I've got a few other odds and ends. I just got some corn snakes recently. Like this is my first time yeah. in my life personally keeping yeah. corn snakes. I I was never a corn snake guy. Like when I was growing up, and like even into my twenties, I was like corn snakes. Get them out of here. These are ju- these are junk. Don't bring them near me. I was like only Southeast Asian pythons. That's it. I don't even want to look at corn snakes. And then like. Maybe two now years ago, I was, looking at some, I was looking at some Okatees, and I was like, man, these things are freaking cool. Just the contrast of the black with the orange and the red. I was like, man, these things are awesome. So I ended up getting some some Okatee corn snakes, and I've, I've got five of them now. I, I think they're pretty neat. They, any particular line or – um, I got some Abbott line animals, uh, which we were staring at Lee Abbott's table in Daytona, mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, I need more of that because yeah. those are amazing. That's some that's my best, jam. Mm-hmm. So uh, as soon as I get a little bit more space, I'm going to get some from him because of those ones I was staring at at Daytona. I was like, man, I need some of those. Yeah, yeah he had a lot of stuff at his table, man, that I wanted. Those, mm-hmm. those coral snows were just yep. um, unbelievable. Dude, and I, I think I have one or two love line animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That Sharpie marker black outline, man, just does it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where it's at. That is where it's at. And yeah. I really want to get a palmetto corn snake just because it's like a cow retic, but shrunk down into a package that's not going to break your back. <laughs> I never yeah. thought of them like that, but it's pretty, it pretty good. <laughs> so when we were up in Daytona and like seeing you and seeing Jeremy and stuff, and like I, I don't remember who I was talking to, but it may have been Billy Hunt. We were just talking about like back in the day, like, 2004 2005 right mm-hmm. when nerd had essentially an entire row at daytona mm-hmm. and it was just like major it was just i just vividly remember all the crazy retic morphs that had just come out like platinum mm-hmm. just became a thing you know and like golden and child platinum exactly exact, yeah. crazy tigers. And, then, and i remember there was an entire table so an entire eight foot table of just designer and morph tokes, mm-hmm. and dude, I what like yeah, you guys to, used to be heavy in the tokes, dude. You guys had the we, coolest we shit. Still we still have a lot. Do. Yeah, we still have a lot. Um, not as much as we used to. Um, the issue with toke geckos is that um, where they come from, they naturally carry crypto, and so. Mm. It, it's just like you just have to deal with it when you're dealing with any sort of tokens that get imported. And so that that can really swing your collection one way or the other if, you know, one little thing goes wrong. So, um, you know, we used to have a, a huge variety of different morphs. We've, we're more focused now. We, we've got a bunch of different albinos. We've actually been hatching out a ton of albinos recently. We just... The thing, like, a lot of people are like, oh, I haven't seen pictures of Lilith. She must be dead. I haven't seen the picture of this thing. It must be dead. And it's like, we have so many different projects here that I don't have. Like, I do a lot of the social media stuff. I don't have enough time to post everything, man. Like, we have so many cool things going on. Every time I see something, I'm like, oh, I should take a picture of that. And then I'm like, I got to go clean this thing. I got to go do, I'm doing an educational program. I got to do this. So, like, we've hatched out a ton of albino tokes recently. Or I shouldn't say a ton, but, like, a decent amount of albino tokes recently. And um, we get people who hit us up on a monthly basis asking us when we're going to have tokens available. And we're just trying to make sure that we got a good steady stock of captive bred stuff that we hatched out uh, so we don't have to rely on any of the stuff that was imported. Even though a lot of our import stuff has been with us for three, five, seven years now, um, a lot of it is really well established. 
just to have that backup of captive bred stuff that we hatched out here that we raised up is uh, is super important. So we've kind of been slowing down on posting the Tokay geckos because we, when we post an albino Tokay gecko, we get a hundred, 150 inquiries like the same day of people who are like, I want to buy it right now, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, we have to tell 150 people, Hey, it's not for sale right now. We'll have some maybe next year available. And so it's easier to just not post it. And then when we're ready to sell them, then we'll post them. And then that way we can just be like, here, you want it, get it. There's no waiting. There's no, We'll take down your number. We'll take down your email address because we got a, a yeah, wait list of, of like live animal it. requests. It's like hundreds of animals, like literally hundreds of animals. So then the ones that you're saying, like when they naturally have crypto, is that part of their normal GI or is yeah. it once yep. they you have a captive bred baby, it doesn't have it? Generally, the captive bred babies haven't shown it. But the thing with Tokyo geckos is that when you're breeding them, you typically want to breed them in cohesive family units. So when the when the female starts laying eggs, she they build like a, a family unit. So you'll usually have like one male to several females and inside of an enclosure. And once they are established and like kind of sort out their ranks and everything, they'll start laying eggs. And then the, the family will protect those eggs. And as the babies hatch out, the babies live with the family. If you start to pull babies out of toke enclosures right as soon as they're born, the females start to decide that it's not a safe place to lay their eggs. And generally, they'll stop laying eggs. And so really? they, they will feel like they're not in a safe place. So they'll just stop laying. So what we've done is we've stopped pulling babies until they're like, you know, four, five, six inches. But then they've been around the wild caught ones. So we're trying to figure out a system now where we can maybe pull one baby at, when they've got five or six of them in there and see if we can raise the baby, like one or two babies separate so that they don't have to be associated with it. Mm-hmm. Also, we've made huge modifications to our enclosures. Uh, Kevin designed these enclosures that we have the Tokyo Geckos in. Animal Plastics built them. Um, they've got a drainage plug in the back of the enclosure. It's got a slanted bottom so that you can spray down the walls and spray out the bottom so everything goes down the drain so there's no poop stuck on the walls or or along the bottom or anything. So it helps cut down on that, on that um, exposure to crypto and stuff like that. So it's it's just so there's so many layers to it and yeah. when when you when you are just thinking about like if you're just breeding a pair of toke geckos you generally don't have to worry about that sort of stuff because you can monitor for stress and watch yeah. them really closely and all that sort of stuff when you've got 50 adult breeder toke geckos and you yeah. know somebody doesn't get along with this one or this one's stressing out this one you know it's it's just it's tougher to get everything dialed in and on top of all the other things we got going on you know let me ask you this. Is there any cannibalisticness with like dads eating babies and stuff or no? I mean, awesome. I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say no, because I personally know people who have raised them ra- or bred them in pairs and the dad will eat the eggs or the female will eat the eggs. Once the babies come out, generally they don't, they don't go after them. You have yeah. to make sure that you got different prey items. So you yeah. got smaller prey items for the babies and bigger prey items for the adults. But once the babies hatch out, we generally don't see any issues with cannibalism because it's, it is literally like a cohesive family unit. They all hang out under the same areas. You look underneath the cork uh, that we screw cork to the sides. You peek underneath the cork, you see 10 toke geckos hanging all different sizes from babies all the way up to adults, all hanging out in the same spot. Yeah. Mike, Mike Toth did an article in the magazine many, many issues ago. uh, And he said a very similar thing with like maternal care and, um, them doing well in, in small groups and he he does the same thing i believe of just letting 
you know, mom handle babies and eggs. Kind of got to, yeah. Leave, leave them alone, yeah. Yeah. You guys, do you guys still have any of the powder blues? Oh yeah, we got tons of powder blues. Yeah, we're actually bringing the powder blues into the albinos right now. Oh. Um, yeah, uh, we've we've produced a bunch of the albinos. We actually have two or three strains of albino. We've got like this really high contrast teen egg albino that's like white with big orange spots on it. We've got caramel albinos that are a little bit more like uh, toffee colored, and then we've got a different like hypo caramel albino that's like lighter colored and it almost looks like the teen egg albino. So we've got a mm-hmm. couple different ones. Uh, you know, it's just finding the right pairings to go because like. Man, it is, it's a tough process when you've got, you know, four or five females with one male and then finding the hats and these animals are, we think these two albinos are the same. We put them together. There's no visuals in the babies. It's all double het stuff. And it's, it's been a long road of, of mm-hmm. figuring all that sort of stuff out. And, you know, it just takes time is what it is. It just takes time. But we we're breeding powder blues. We're breeding teenage albinos. Excuse me, teen egg albinos, T-Paws albinos, and some other type of albino as well. <laughs> That's super cool, man. Super cool. Yeah. Our buddy Alan Stevens asked if the uh, that crypto is is transmittable to other species. Like if that if that's the same crypto that can jump into colubrids and yes, and yeah, yeah. I, I I believe so. I personally, we since we found this out ten years ago, uh, we're super duper careful with the tokes. We only do them at the end of the day we bleach before and after we've got like heavy duty bleach sinks that are like scald your eyes bleach so we like <laughs> do dips with those before and after you know wash your hands with soap and water afterwards antibacterial hand sanitizer the whole nine um we don't want to risk any of that sort of stuff going from any of our you know tokes to any of the other stuff and crypto yeah, that, would be, that would be bad yeah be yeah so we uh we're real careful about it um you know as far as i know most of the cryptos are able to be passed from species to species mm-hmm. so we, we don't even risk it like we we usually do all that sort of stuff at the end of the day they got their own section of enclosures it's only toke geckos in those enclosures when we're feeding them we have special um you know feeding cups and all this sort of stuff that is just for their enclosures so we don't mix anything and all that yeah. sort of stuff so we try and be as concise as we can about it I mean, frankly, crypto. I'm much more worried about crypto than I am like Nido and stuff. Like crypto, yeah. is, crypto is, is serious, man. Crypto like, is serious business, yeah, yeah. And then uh, the other thing I see, like, I don't see here, but I see that worries me online. I see people post pictures of like their boas in the same enclosure with pythons and stuff, and I'm like, inclusion body disease. What are you guys doing? Oh my freaking god! It is not. Is nobody worried about this? We literally had a customer who bought a used enclosure from somebody and they put their ball python in it. Like they just like wiped it down with like water or whatever, and then put their ball, like put substrate in it, put their ball python in it. And they're like, my ball python is dying. I don't know what the hell is the issue. Like it, it is flipping over on its back and it's not a spider. It was like a lesser ball python. And they're like, it's flipping over on its back. It can't write itself. It's losing tons of weight. I was like, that's IBD. That's all. That's IBD all day. Like, and there's nothing you can really do about it Mm -hmm. at that point. Like you, you just pretty much have to humanely euthanize it at that point. And they were like, how come I didn't know about this? And it's like, well, if you're not in the groups who talk about this sort of stuff, it's, you probably wouldn't. I don't. I mean, I, I couldn't even tell you how how common IBD is anymore with anything because I I really yeah. don't see. You know, I know that used to be a, a pretty big concern. You know, back in yeah. the day, but now it doesn't seem like it's as prevalent as it once was. But 
Well, I think it, it also comes down to the big box stores are either more educated or their staff is more educated and they're not putting the baby BCI with the baby ball yeah. python because, oh, they're cute and they don't mind living together. They're fine. It's like, no, mm -hmm. they can do that. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's just a, a matter of, you know, how, you know, you can do all the research in the world. There's still things we don't know. Like, right. you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, what did people know about nidovirus? Right now, what do most people know about nidovirus? Like hardly anything, man. It's it's crazy. So like, I, I don't know. I see people, you know, people talk about like crypto with like, uh, I see people talk about crypto with like leopard geckos and like, you know, toki geckos and stuff like that a lot. Um, but not as much with other species. So, like, if you just keep snakes, you know, or you're not interested in other stuff, you might not even know about crypto. So, mm -hmm. it's just, you know, it uh, is what Billy, it is. Billy, if you hit up uh, Dr. Lofman, we also had an episode with him on THP. Uh, it's been a while now, but if you go back to the episodes, we had an episode with him on crypto, but I do want to definitely hit him up about possibly an article or something that sort of explains it in more detail because it's not a virus. Yep. It's a uh, bacteria, I believe. Um, it's pretty, pretty gnarly. Yeah. So we're definitely good. we're definitely due for part two on that. Um, I feel like every time we have Lofman on, man, there's just so much stuff we want to talk about that we end up not even getting to like the main thing we wanted to even discuss. Yeah. Because he does <laughs> so much cool stuff and he knows so much about so many different things that we never seem to tackle what we were, were intending to have him on for in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to find the episode right now. I'm scrolling through. Because I think it was with you and me, wasn't it? It was with you and me, yeah. Was it? Yeah. So. Yeah. Crypto's, uh, crypto sucks, man. That's That stuff's no joke. It spreads. Uh, Lopin actually brought up a really good point as far as vectors for it. Uh, fruit flies. So if you got a pretty serious fruit fly problem, definitely get some some apple cider vinegar traps set up, you know, with a little cup and uh, some Dawn. And then you take a Ziploc bag and cut a little hole in it, make a cone that goes into the center. And that seems to do really well at, at catching them and trapping them. So, yeah, yeah. The, uh, you, you want to go a little more advanced. They have the uh, the like the fly catchies. It's like a little UV light fan thing. That oh, you just yeah, yeah plug in when the lights are out and it has a little uv light the fruit flies fly into it the fan sucks them down and it basically collects them all on the bottom of it yeah yeah i, mean, I always did the apple cider vinegar thing just because i always have that stuff you know around super easy you know? so the episode if you i'm on my apple podcast app it doesn't i guess for whatever reason it doesn't say what episode it is but it was december 12th of 2020 so anybody who's looking okay that wasn't for, that far along yeah, Crypto and More with Dr. Zaf Lovman, and it's December 12th, 2020, and that's going to be, yeah, it doesn't say, because I guess that at that time, it was when you switched over and you added Snakes and Stogies to, mm -hmm. so only the Snakes and Stogies episodes are listed, number-wise, I mean. Oh, let's see. Yeah, it's December 12th, 2020, so... And and Billy Jenkins is dying to talk carpets, so we, we probably should just dive right into that. <laughs> you want to talk carpets? Let's talk carpets. I don't yeah. I don't have I don't have a ton of carpets, but I, I like carpets a little Dude, bit, I guess. So the, the ones you show on your personal Instagram account are those yours or are they nerds? 
Yeah, I don't really post. The only things I post that's nerds, like nerd animals on my on my personal account is like the caiman. I'll post those, and then the venomous stuff. Those those are the only things I post that are nerd animals on on my account. And if I post anything that's nerds on my account, I write right in the description. This is a nerd animal, like or like you know, this is from nerd. This is nerds. Everything else that you see on my personal account is all my own personal stock animals. So like all the Borneos, all the carpet pythons, all the scrub pythons, all that stuff's all mine. So it was dude, episode one hundred and five. Okay, perfect. Hell yeah. So what? What do you got carpet wise now? Like lines, so I, localities. I don't have a set of carpet pythons. Like carpet pythons are not super duper my thing. Like I, I like some carpet pythons, but the scrubs just like draw me way more than the carpets do. So, like I never got super into carpet pythons. I've got like six carpet pythons or something like that. I've got a ocelot jungle jag female that i produced with jason chapman up in maine that thing's like 92 point whatever percent jungle it's one that we bred its mother and its grandmother at the shop that i was working at there i was managing there um so i got her and i raised her up she's six years old now i've never bred her before i just i i grew her really slow because i'm like ah she's not big enough to breed yet and then i was like ah i wonder when how old she is oh crap she's like four and a half years She's like five years old right now. And I'm like, I never even tried to breed her. Um, so I've got her. I've got a male jungle that came from um, one of my friends in New Jersey, which I'm planning on breeding him to the uh, Ocelot Jungle Jag. So I didn't really care all that much about lineage. The most important thing for me was black. I want really, really black carpet pythons. So I picked out a male that has lots of black on him and I'm looking for maybe a couple more. I just picked up a female, I haven't even got her in yet, a female jungle from Scott Borden because he's got stuff that's got really nice dark black tones yeah, to good it. Contrast. Hell yeah. Uh, and then I just picked up a female from Trace Harden because he has uh, oh, yeah. one specific group that's got really nice black uh, on them. Like yellow's cool and everything, but there's this guy in, in uh, Australia who's just breeding for like like abyss black bands on his jungles and i look at those and i'm like damn those things blow out every single one of the bright yellow carpets yeah that's cool okay but these ones that have got these like black bands on them i'm like oh those things get my heart every every time so i was i'm looking at a lot of the people who are breeding carpet pythons right now in the u.s and i don't see people who are trying to breed towards a black jungle or like there, maybe there's a couple people. I, I don't know. I'm not super plugged into the carpet Python people, um, but I don't see people doing that. So I want to make a really black jungle carpet Python. So I just been snagging a couple things here and there to make a really black carpet Python. Or yeah, a black we, jungle. we talked about that at Daytona when you were at Tracy's yes. table looking at them. You yep. were like, everyone's focused on yellows and jungles forever. Mm-hmm. No one's yep. really focused on, on, getting more black. black and wider black bands. And I think that's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Dude, uh, so that, way, that's a little project with that. I'm, I'm, I'm still in that line, by the way, abyss black. Yes. It's just like, so, so dark. And you look at it and it's just like, ah, uh, it's right there. I love that. It's so cool. Like everyone gets all geeked out about Boland's pythons. And I'm like, but look at this black carpet python. <laughs> yeah, dude. hundred percent. Um, so I've got, I've got the, uh, the two female 2020 
jungles that I'm raising up. I got that male that I picked up from my buddy. I got the Ocelot Jungle Jag. So those are my jungles. That's all I've got for jungles. I've got a female West Poplin Carpet Python that I picked up from a friend in Maine. He got it at the Hamburg Expo in Pennsylvania. He's like, I bought it from a breeder there. Like, I don't have any of his her information. And I was like, you know what? This is the coolest looking IJ that I've seen. And it reminds me of the old Spitfire, the old Yasser stuff. Mm-hmm. It's got like these like burgundy, not burgundy, but like, uh, what's the word? Um, like chestnut yeah, to burnt orange perfect, bands nice at the bottom. Maroonish, yeah. Mahogany. Yeah. Mahogany. mahogany that's my word right there so she's got these nice mahogany bands on her and i got her when she was little i didn't really intend on like really breeding her or doing it i just thought she was really cool looking so i bought her when she was little and i've had her for five or six years now and um i bred her last season to a west pop one male that nerd had here um that we ended up selling so i produced a, a clutch of west pop ones last year and i kept back four babies i did a little experiment with the clutch too where um, you you do a little bit of the the gecko stuff. Do you dabble uh, at all with like leopard geckos or crested geckos or anything? No. Have you yeah. ever done bred bred any of those? No, I bred no. cresteds years ago. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't have a lot of cresteds. There's a there's a thing with uh, leopard geckos and with crested geckos where a lot of the breeders who who breed them or the, a lot of people who breed them. Um, they keep them at a steady temperature through the majority of the incubation. And then through the last two weeks of the incubation, they crank up the temperature three, four degrees. Mm-hmm. And it generally creates a higher intensity coloration on the animals when they hatch out. So you can literally take a leopard gecko clutch, incubate them at the same temperature throughout the entire incubation process. Last two weeks, take one egg, pop it over here. Same genetics, you know, the same exact genetics, you know, breed a, what, a bell albino to a bell albino. You know, take one egg, move it into a hot incubator for the last two weeks, leave the other one in the cool incubator for the two weeks. And you can do this with several clutches and just take it every single time. The baby that you put in that warmer incubator for the last two weeks, the color is going to smoke the color on the other one mm. every I've single time. I've heard of that with leopards. I haven't heard of that with crested. Yep. Yeah, I've seen people do it with with cresteds too. So I was asking around last year um, and I was like, who's doing this with snakes? Has anyone tried this with snakes at all? And all snake people are like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, this doesn't make me that stupid. That's stupid. So last year I did an experiment with the West Poplin carpets. I did it with uh, blood pythons and I did it with Borneo short tail pythons where each of them uh approximately two weeks between 14 and 10 days before they were due to hatch i took half the eggs put them in a hotter incubator closer to 90 degrees where i was incubating most of them at like 86 throughout most of the incubation process and so i took half of the eggs from each of those three clutches moved half the clutch into a hot incubator half the clutch into the control incubator and then hatched out you know a whole bunch of babies and for the West Pop ones, I kept back four babies, a male and female from the cool group, a male and female from the warm group. Uh, the Borneos, I kept back um, – I think I kept back three babies from that experimental group, one from the cool group or two from the cool group and one from the other. I can't remember. One way or the other. Um, but I kept one from each group and one from the other group so I could watch them as they grow for the first year or two years to see if there's any change in coloration or – patterning or whatever stuff like that so and out, of the, out of the egg though there was really no visual difference the west pop ones no i didn't see any difference at all they looked 
identical. And the, okay. the messed up thing was that the ones that were kept in the cool incubator at the same temperature, they hatched before the ones that I put in the warm incubator. So I don't really? know what the heck happened there. I don't, I literally hmm. don't understand how that yeah, works. Cause, Cause that was going to be the next question is, you know, with the snakes, did they hatch sooner because they were hotter? Nope. No, they actually wow. took longer. I actually ended up pipping them cause I was worried that they were like moving around in the egg and broke their egg tooth or whatever. I pipped them and, and they were all perfectly fine. The babies came out. They all looked pretty much identical. As they're growing, though, the cool group looks a little bit different than the warmer group, just like slightly different. Um, but they're they're only a year old right now, so you know they don't really get their full color until yeah. they're two or whatever. So we'll see in another year. I haven't those four I've held on to. I gave one to one of my buddies locally, uh, one of the guys who works at the shop. He was like, I kind of want to get a carp python, but I don't know if I want to buy one. I was like, here, raise this. Let me know how it looks in a year. <laughs> Just nice. let me know how it looks. I want to see how it looks in another year. Um, and then the Borneos, right out of the egg, like you can look at them and go, wow, that one looks really different than that one. The coloration is brighter on this one and more muted on this one. And as they're growing, the, the same, you can tell. And I put up videos on my YouTube, like my personal YouTube channel, just like documenting um, when I hatch them out, ta like looking at every single baby from the clutch, looking at the cool group, looking at the warm group, trying to see what the differences are. And then I did an update maybe six or eight months later after they'd had a couple sheds um, each and, you know, just looking at each one, each group and seeing how they change and how they differ and stuff like that. Because, you know, why not? Why not? If, it, if we find out that it makes your jungle carpets 10 times brighter, why not do it? You know, Yeah. but you know, there, there's a lot of things, you know, I was talking to pe people in a couple different groups and they said that naturally the eggs bump up in temperature for the last two weeks of incubation anyway, or the last like 10 days of incubation. So, you know, who's to say that those eggs didn't do that naturally, just that's just how they do it or, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm, I didn't have any babies die. I didn't have any weird, you know, abnormalities, kinks or anything like that come out. So no harm, no foul. And if it yeah. did produce a bunch of kinks or a bunch of messed up animals i'd rather i do it on some clutches that i'm like oh well i now we know i don't know you don't have to try and so um i just i i like to look at a lot of different aspects of the hobby because you can take little things from everywhere that you learn and apply it to the different things that you're you're doing Absolutely. so when i was i was listening to a, a gecko thing and, and talking to a couple gecko people and they're like oh yeah you take like a a leopard gecko, you can take, you know, two bell albinos, breed them together and take one egg and put it in a warm incubator for the last two weeks incubation. And every single time that one that was kept in the warm incubator is going to smoke the one that was kept in the cool incubator. And as you're breeding them, you're making better and better and better offspring as you're doing this. And it's just like, why aren't people trying this with snakes? Why aren't people doing this? And it's like, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But why not? Why not try? You know, we'll see. Like, it, it I never. Sucks. I never thought about it in that regard because I'll be honest, I didn't, I didn't know about that, but I've always wanted to know about <clears throat> someone who has a, a Python, like let's say, you know, your, your IJs, right. And they let the mom go MI, but you know how there's always like those one or two eggs on top. Mm -hmm. I wondered, I always want to know, like if somebody just took one of the one or two of those eggs off top and incubated them and then mm -hmm. see if it is, see if they look different. Any difference. Because, I'm curious because her temp's going to go up and down while the incubator is mm -hmm. just staying the same. Mm -hmm. that's that's my another thing that i'm really curious about is 
because uh, naturally in the wild, there's no python that's sitting there going, okay, 86 degrees, 86 degrees, 86 degrees, oh, 87 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 86.4. No, not okay. This is it. And then people who are incubating their eggs, they're losing their shit because it went one degree up. And they're like, that's it. My season's over. All the eggs are dead, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, dude, look at the natural temperature fluctuations of nature, like yeah. literally look at the natural temperature fluctuations of nature. It happens. It freaking happens, man. I One of the things that I've been on recently, just over the last year or so, is looking at temperatures of wild reptiles. As I'm going field herping, I'm bringing a temp gun with me and temp gunning the actual animal, the spot where it's hanging out at, and then the area around it to see what the different temperatures are like. Because, you know, people get in Facebook groups and, oh, you you can't make a bearded dragon's basking spot 130 degrees. The Death Valley doesn't even get that hot, blah, 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 and all this bullshit. But I went out looking for um, native snakes recently in Massachusetts, um, like, you know, some of our native venomous snakes. And I brought my temp gun with me, and it was a hot day. It was like 90 degrees out. And I found some snakes. So I temp gun the snakes. Their body's sitting at like 86 degrees. They're all hiding. So in the cool areas where they're hiding in the shade underneath the rocks and stuff. Microclimates. Microclimate is sitting at like 85 to 88 degrees in there. Right outside. So like the snake's here underneath this rock. In the sun right here, right next to where they're hiding. 123 degrees on the rocks. In Massachusetts. Yep. And people are sitting here going, you can't give them a hot bath. It's gonna kill and it's like, yeah, don't put 150 watt halogen on a 10 gallon tank. But these animals are not sitting there going, okay, it's 82 degrees all the time. We never change temperature. Like, And then that night it dropped down to like 70 degrees, 60 degrees or something. So you got to figure out they're moving around and trucking mm-hmm. around when it's you know 70 degrees out there and the fact that people get so caught up on like i read on the care sheet that it was this temperature and they need to be kept at this and people get too caught up in we're keeping this thing at exactly i read yeah. it on this and this person did it this way and it's like dude they're animals they live out in the wild I'm, like i'm gonna rain play my my usual chondro card because that was a that's a big thing with chondros is, and that's why i like Julander and Phillips book so much because they were like, look, 86 is probably a little warm. Like for mm-hmm. babies, it works, but I, you know, I have adults that stay in the upper 70s, low 80s, not even adults. They're like two yeah. years old, whatever, and they do fine. Like I can keep mm-hmm. them at room temperature and they do fine. Yeah. They eat fine. They function fine. Like it's just, they're, they, things get babied to death, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, when we were in West Texas with the NPR boys, oh my god, dude! Eric Burke brought a, yeah, he brought the temp gun, he brought the solar UV reader, and mm-hmm. he brought an ambient temp reader because I didn't realize cool. this, but like you know, I always had the temp gun with the laser pointer, right? And you mm-hmm. you you shoot Surface the snake, temp. right? You yeah, shoot the snake, surface. you shoot this. Well, what I would do is I would just kind of like point it up in the air and like assume it's that it would hit the wall. It's a cloud. Yeah, exactly. And that was my whole thing. When, and, hit the sun. And Burke showed me, he's like, no, man, look at the difference. And like, we did that. We shot the cloud, so to speak. And it was like, you know, 99 degrees. And then you do the ambient thing and it's like 115. And Is it that was like, like index? Like heat no, index? no, 
No, that was that was it was reading the ambient, the ambient air, yeah, the ambient air temperature. Yeah. Well, I'd say index because I wasn't sure if that's calc- like if the humidity affecting those like the, it, you yeah. know the, the heat index if that's what it's reading and yeah, but and dude, not we, just we the temperature like the the humidity would have an effect on that to an degree. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think Burke brought a hygrometer with him <laughs> just because it was West Texas and we assumed it would be zero. You know, <laughs> it was pretty close to it. It felt like yeah. I think next time I may just bring like a little one of those do, do those Exoterra stick on with the probe hygrometers they work mm-hmm. so damn well they have like a little uh a govi unit yeah or even that yeah and just bring that and just like leave it like in your hand while hanging, you're walking yeah, around hanging on your hook and just carry it around yeah from the, with the string <laughs> yep. that way it's not you know those little govi things are awesome man like the sensor push govies like those things are are worth their weight in gold you know, I, I got a handful of them at one point and just put them in different cages, different parts of the cage with some of the chondros and stuff. And to be able to just look at it on your phone and monitor it and then to be able to move it to somewhere else and monitor it and see the changes on the graph and everything over time is just for the $30 that they cost or, you know, not even they're, they're, they're mm-hmm. fantastic. Hell yeah. Yeah. That's where it's at, man. Just little things, little, mm-hmm. little tweaks, little things. The more that we learn, the more, the better we can do. That's all, that's all boils down to, you know, <clears throat> I just think that, uh, as we go, we're going to find out that, uh, yeah, like you're saying, people just baby stuff to death. And, you know, I, I do a lot of my bloods and short tails at like, 80 degrees and people mm-hmm. are like, but you got to keep them at 90 blah, 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 hot spot. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I don't know. No, I've been breeding. We I've been just, breeding. <laughs> yeah. We just talked to Christian Elmer about those on Thursday and he keeps his yep. in that like low eighties. And mm-hmm. he's like, they do fine. That's their, they do great. They, those get compared to condors a lot too, in terms of like care and stuff, you know, obviously they're not arboreal, but like in terms of temperatures and stuff, they're, they're actually, very similar like they seem to operate better at lower temperatures than they do higher ones. way better way yeah. better and a lot of the old care sheets used to tell people like 90 degrees and 100 percent humidity yeah. they live in a swamp blah 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 and you know as soon as i started keeping them i was like how about we do it cooler let's just try it and all my animals were like much happier mm-hmm. you know i used to do youtube videos back in the day and i used to do blood python videos because i was like man nobody posts videos about blood pythons these things are so cool like i just want information out there about how you handle them and how you work with them and blah 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 all this stuff and uh i would get people constantly who are like i bought a blood python it's angry it bites the heck out of me it musks me it pisses everywhere like i don't know what to do like it's just a psychopath i'm like what's your temperatures first question what's your temperatures oh i got it like 88 to 92 i'm like first thing do drop it down to 80 degrees (laughs) do that for a week come back and tell me how it goes don't change anything else just change the temperature I don't know about y'all, but when I'm sweating and hot, I'm I'm I get pretty irritated. I'm irritated. <laughs> yeah, I don't want. Don't touch me. Don't touch Miserable. me. That's how I was in the garage this morning doing all this. I was sweating like crazy, and Katie came in telling me I need to clear some tubs and stuff out, and I was like, just just go, just go. Just, it's hot. I'm sweaty, and I don't feel like dealing with it. Yeah, and dude, 99% of the time, people come back a, a week later, oh my god, it's a complete 180. The thing lets me pick it up. It's so chill. It's great now, and I'm like, yep. Don't don't cook it and it'll be happy. It's, I mean, I know they look like a sausage, but they are not a sausage. Don't cook them. I've come to find though, it seems like as as time goes on, 
there's the number of species that are truly considered like delicate seems to get smaller and smaller. Mm. You know, there's, yeah, a lot, I mean, there's a lot of species that we don't give enough credit as far as being tougher than they, than people think they are. Yeah. And I think a lot of the stuff that came from people saying that they're tough was uh, people trying to keep them like ball pythons. Like people talk about sunbeam mm-hmm. snakes, like, Oh my God, sunbeam snakes are so incredibly tough. And it's like, yeah, if you keep them like a ball python, they're tough because they just shrivel up and die. You know, that's mm-hmm. not how they live. That's not how they live. If you keep them like a sunbeam snake, they do great. You know, yeah. you keep them really cool, nice and moss leaf litter. And you feed them once a week, you know, once every 10 days, they do great. They do amazing. They're yeah. not hard to keep. If you keep them like a ball python, you keep them at 90 degrees on newspaper, yeah, they die. They, they don't like that. Surprise, they don't like that. And I learned um, that with they, the Ganyasoma, with the Jansen eye. Like I, go, I went into those thinking those were going to be really challenging and, and tough, and they're actually really easy to work with. Like As far as keeping them and stuff, they do fine. You just got to mm-hmm. give them a ton of cover and not expect to see them much, and they're going to do flawless. Like The more I don't see them, the more... The better they do. They're doing fine. <laughs> like they're one of those species where if you literally just ignore them, they do great. Yeah. Good. We got dragon snakes here a couple of years ago. And when we got them in, I was like, no, this is terrible. <laughs> Why do we do this? This is horrible. And then Damn it. I went down this like crazy rabbit hole where I was like researching and reaching out to people and talking to people and like just looking at different areas where they were found and all this different stuff. And we got, um, we got six of them in, one of them came in like really dehydrated and that thing died like maybe two, three weeks later. Like it, there was nothing we could have done to save that thing. Uh, the other five that we got did awesome. Like we kept them like a dragon snake and they did great. They were, we had them for a couple months. We sold all of them and they did amazing. Like if you feed them the things that they want to eat and you keep them like a dragon snake, they do great. And they're not that difficult. They're super overrated, but they're, they do great. Oh no! Don't worry, I'll get it to you, rodents. Don't worry. Yeah, I know those those people. Oh my god! Oh my goodness! That's like I had somebody call the shop last week, and they were like, "Hey, so like uh, I I want to I I hatched out some baby blood pythons, and like uh, they're this gram weight to this gram weight. Is that normal?" And I'm like, "I I don't know." And they're like, "Okay, well, like I'm feeding them rats that are like this gram weight area. Is that like okay?" And I'm like, I don't, I, I don't know. Like, Are they I, I don't eating know. them and keeping them down? And and they were like, well, can you get somebody who breeds blood pythons to help me out? And I was like, I've been breeding blood pythons for 10 years, but I don't know how much they weigh. Like, I have not no. gone out of my way to weigh the rats that I'm feeding to my baby snakes. I give them something. I'm like, ah, they can eat that. And I throw it in there and they eat it. Like, or they don't eat it. And then I go, okay, that one was a little too big. I'll give them something a little bit smaller and. I don't know. The person was so offended too. They were like, "Can you get someone who knows things about blood pythons?" And I was like, "Well, if you talk to anybody else in the building, they're going to give you to me because I'm one of the only people in the building who consistently bred blood pythons. Besides, you know, Kevin used to breed them back in the day. I mean, I'm the I'm the guy who does all the blood python breeding. So if you want to ask questions, you can ask them to me. But I don't know the gram weight of the rat that you're feeding your baby blood. Sorry, I just don't know that information. I've never once in my life." weighed a feeder item ever 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 for anything yeah what's funny is like i look at the rodent online rodent sales right and it Mm -hmm. says like you know rat pup x amount of grams you know rat fuzzy x amount of grams like i understand 
they're shipping it. They're, they're trying to show you how much it weighs to, to give an idea for someone who may have never bought a quote unquote small rack. Yeah. It's, it's all only, for context. Right. And, and I get that. But what I found myself doing was comparing it to like the size of a gecko. So I'm like, well, I know my gecko is about 28 grams. So I imagine that the rat pup is about, yeah, that's about the same size. So if you don't have that, that reference. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't do you a whole lot of good. Yeah, exactly. Right. What fucking good does it do? You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause I'm sorry. 40 grams of sand is not the same size as rat crawler. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is what it is. So we get so many crazy phone calls here, man. It is, it's, it's ridiculous. It's just crazy. Some people just want to just talk to you just because they're lonely or whatever, but we get so many crazy phone calls, at least, Three to six times a week, we get people who call and they're like, "Hey, do you guys like export to the United States?" And I'm like, <laughs> "That's uh, awesome. We do from New England." Yeah, we're gonna have to charge you five hundred dollars to ship it, though. Uh, if we're gonna be exporting to the United States from New England, so <laughs> I, I, like, I, I get because I work retail sales normally, and I get the phone call where it's like, "Hi, I need to speak to the owner of the business," and like, "I'll, I'll vet as much as I can," you know. Yeah. And it's like, go through hoops and go through hoops. It's like, no, I need to speak to him. He told me X, Y, and Z. I need to speak to this individual. Okay, you know what? Fine, sir. I'll get it. And they, my boss puts the phone. He goes, hey, how's it going? He goes, hey, uh, you guys are open tomorrow from 10 to 6, right? <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah, we like, get the people who are like, they call us and they're like, hey, what's your address? And I'm like, how did you get our phone number? Did you Google our number and then skip over the address below it to call us? Is that what you just did right now? Oh, my goodness. It's crazy. Crazy, crazy. So Brandon Valentine wants to hear about Scrubs, and I'm with him 100%. We waited too long to talk about Scrubs. What are you talking about? We should have been talking about Scrubs this whole time. I, well, now that, now that I officially – so I always have loved Scrubs, and I've had um, I had Malukins, and I've I when I worked underground, I worked for Strictly, like we had Barnax and whatever else, but I never owned them personally because like I always could mm-hmm. play with someone else's. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, now I got kicked off of the uh, uh, restricted license. They're like, yeah, you can't do it anymore. So now mm-hmm. that I can't have them, now of course I want them. Yeah, of course. So tell of me course. all about it, bro. What what are you keeping? What are you working with? Um, so I've got a, a, not a giant group of scrubs. Honestly, I'd prefer not to have a, you know, a whole room full of scrub pythons just because then you can't spend individual time with them. And I feel like if you want to not just constantly be bleeding, you need to spend time with them. Um, but I've got Barnex, I've got Sarong Barnex, and I've got a Jayapura Barnek. I've got a few Southern scrub pythons. I got a Halmahera. I've got a, um, a Highland Scrubs Python, the Oxabil, the like Ooh, yeah. bright gold ones with the orange bars on it. Yeah, um, yeah, I got one of those. I don't have any Malukins. I, I wish, but I'm I'm letting people who've got them do their thing because I don't want to rush and get them when there's other people who could potentially be breeding them and, and making more of them. I'd rather wait and get some down the road uh, when they're a little bit more available. So I'm, I'm waiting on the on the Malukins, but. I really love the Barnex. Barnex are probably my favorite. I've got a tattoo of Barnex right there. Nice. All right, yeah. so then let's let me ask you this then, since we got you on the show. We were talking in Daytona about what is a quote unquote Barnex, 
And mm-hmm. some of my friends were explaining that it's a, a barred neck, mm-hmm. which translates to barred. So it's not a locality. It's just a, a, a Like look. a phenotype kind of. It's like a phenotype? Yeah. So it's a phenotype, um, but there, it's kind of a loose phenotype because a lot of the animals that used to be classified as Wamina, which are now coming in labeled as Jayapura, um, they've got a heavy patterning to them. And a lot of them have patterning along the neck and for some reason over the last year or two people have been marketing them as barnecks where i do not look at them as barnecks because if you look at like a sarong barnek or a jayapur like an actual jayapur barnek or um uh manaquari or things like that they've got reduced pattern or if they've got pattern like the sarongs they have a very distinct thick black bar or like three usually like three bars Mm -hmm. along the back part of the like the muscles of the head at the back and they got one there and then probably two and then three right at the back of that neck they don't the bars don't always continue down the rest of the animal but they always have those three distinct bars right at the back of the neck right there that's generally what i consider bar necks but there's been a lot of hubbub in the scrub community about, oh, well, locality stuff is just – it doesn't matter anymore and all this, that, and the other things. So, so it's, it's very I, similar to the chondros where just because it came in as a sarong, that's just because it shipped out of whatever airport they were calling sarong. Yeah. Right? I mean the sarongs are one of the few ones that have like a very – I'll say a very distinct look. They are typically the most heavily patterned barnecks. Um, They typically are the biggest barnecks. They, they have got a much more distinct look than uh, the Manaquaris or the Jayapuras or some of the other um, smaller localities of barnecks. And so the sarongs, you can like, if I look at a, a scrub, the sarongs I can usually pick out. They've got spots down the sides almost always. They've got thick bars down the back of the neck, and then they usually have thick banding all the way down I'll until the last third of their body. a little darker too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, the the Jayapuras tend to be a little bit lighter gold, a little bit mm-hmm. more reduced pattern. Um, the man, I, I hope I'm not messing up that other locale, the Manaquari. Um, I think it's Manaquari. But they, they are a little bit more reduced. Some of the – like the sarongs are distinct. All the other barnack types look very similar to me. And mm-hmm. It's just tough. It's tough without any sort of like data or anything like that to back it up about which ones are which. And, well, it's kind of uh, odd that they would say that like that Wamina and Jayapuras would get mixed up because unless I'm confused, those aren't terribly close to one another. Yeah, but I also I, feel I also feel like Jayapura, like there's the Jayapura province, and then there's like the city of Jayapura. So like, right? Is it that's a it's a huge area, like a massive, like we're talking hundreds of thousands of acres of land, and it which would normally have maybe two or three phenotypes within it. Yeah, so my, that, talking that's, about, yeah. that's my thought. Is that uh, it's going to have uh, so the biggest fucking issue right now with scrub pythons is that they're all the same fucking species and they're not all the same species if you look at a wamina and look at a sarong they are not the same species it looks like the difference between like uh a burmese python and an indian python you're like oh that's kind of like look a little bit the same but like you can tell that they're different you can tell that they're very different you look at an african rock python and you look at a burmese python you go oh i could see how they like yeah, they kind of look a little bit similar, but they're not the same animal. 
So like right now, Similia uh, Amethystina covers the Marokis, oh, yeah. the Southerns, the Oxibils, the uh, the Sarang, all the Barnacks, the Waminas. They're all grouped under Amethystina, which is it doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any yeah. sense at all. And uh, once they start to break all that stuff down and actually sort them out into species, I think that we're going to see that, oh, the Wamina type, that is the classic Wamina type, is a species. It's found in this area. It's also found in this area. Maybe it overlaps into Jayapura, but it is not yeah, a no. Jayapura Barnak. It's not the same thing. I was, as, I, I was right, because Wamina is in like the dead center of Papua, and Jayapura mm-hmm. is like north on the coast. So, yeah. I mean, we're talking yeah. about a very large gap between those two. So how yeah, those get mixed up is kind uh, of goofy. It's, it's, it's probably the, the export range. area. Yeah. yeah. It's probably the export area where they're like, oh, Jayapur is up by the coast. They've got these animals in the mountains. They brought them over to the coast. They sent them out of Jayapur. They're Jayapuras now. And uh, when in reality, you know, they're, they're not that. So, you know, I'm not an expert in scrub pythons, like all that sort of stuff. I like scrubs a lot. I'm not going to claim to be like some guy who knows everything. Like I'm not David means I'm not Chris Foley. I'm not, you know, any of the other people who are crazy going, you know, having 60 or 70 scrub pythons. I just really like them. They're, they're just like my, probably my favorite non-venomous snake. And so I've got a few of them. I really like them. I like working with them. If they said, you know, tomorrow you can't breed them. I don't care. I got the ones I want to keep. I'm going to keep them. I just yeah. like them. That's the thing that, like, I have a few friends in Florida. They're like, hey, come move down to Florida. You can go field herping all the time. And I'm like, they just ban nah. scrubs. I can't do it. Can't do it. Will not give up my scrub pythons. Won't yeah. do it. Yeah, man. And, like, the worst for me was uh, when originally it was, you know, anything goes. And then they did what's called ROC, which is Reptiles of Concern. Mm-hmm. And at the, at the time, I had, uh, I had got the ROC permit, and I had put in a friend of mine who bred retics. Uh, had brought in a, an entire shipment from Indo of just scrubs for himself, mm-hmm. and he had a bunch of quote unquote barnacks. There was no locality; it was just they were all barnacks. Mm-hmm. They were one hundred and twenty dollars a baby, and I paid Ugh. him. I paid him one hundred and twenty dollars cash, and uh, and I, I paid him cash, and I said, "Hey, man, I'm not going to be able to come by for like another week. You know, I'll come by Saturday, and I'll grab my snake." He's like, "Yeah, sure, just come on by whenever." So I came by that Saturday and he's like, Hey man, I, I'm really sorry, but I wasn't paying attention. I oversold online of the Barnax. I was like, look, I got this other type of scrub. Um, it's called a Malukin. And they're really, they're oh. really, he's like, they're really cool. They're, they're like a purplish red when they're babies, but when they grow up, they turn like yellow. He's like, but I'll be honest. Like I owe you some money cause they're a little cheaper. They're only 80 bucks. And I was like, All right. oh, oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah, so <laughs> ah. <laughs> I know oh, Andy, Mil- Andy Milton <laughs> hates this story. So, so I went up. I went up. So I was like, "Dude, it's 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 one hundred twenty bucks, eighty bucks, whatever." I was just keep the money. Let me give give me your best looking one. I'll, I'll take a boy because at the time I was like, I don't even know if I really want to get into scrubs like that. I was like, I'll take this one. I'll keep it as a pet. So I had that thing for like two and a half, three years, a little longer, and it changed and it looked fucking cool. And uh, out of the blue, it just died. And then, like th- yep. a month later, is when they changed the law and banned it. And mm-hmm. at the time, I registered it, even though they changed the taxonomy. Excuse me, they mm-hmm. changed the subspecies, the end of species, and all that. And Fish and Wildlife was like, uh, "Yeah, you're okay to keep all that, um, 
that's not considered a scrub python, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. The right. Lucan python, yeah. Right. Well, no, wait, but you can't, just can't have anything else. And that was it. Mm. And I haven't had a scrub since. So. Yeah. So I've been into scrub python since I was like really young. Like maybe I was like 12 or 13 years old. I was always fascinated with scrub pythons. And, mm -hmm. um, but when I first started getting snakes and like building a, a collection of snakes, I knew that I didn't want to get a scrub python and then have to get rid of it because it got too big or it, you know, you know, bit someone in my family or something like that. So when I was younger and going to reptile expos, I saw scrub pythons for sale for, you know, barnacks for 150 bucks, 200 bucks, whatever. And I turned them down every single time because I was just like, I just thought of them on like this pedestal where like, I yeah. didn't want to get one and get my dream animal and then have to get rid of it because I'm moving sure. or I'm doing this yeah. or doing that. And, and it's and also, so it's I a case waited. of, it's a case of I'll get it later. I'll just get it later. They're only 150 bucks. I'll just get it later. Yeah. Well, it wasn't that because I, I knew that they were going to be – I didn't know they were going to be this expensive, but I knew that they were going to be more expensive because they're just such a cool snake. I don't know why they were ever that cheap, but that's neither here nor there. But I um, – so I would – skip over them at show not skip over them but i'd stare at them and be like one day i'm one day i'm gonna get you but i would not buy them when i was younger and i was buying a lot of my first bloods and short tails and stuff like that and uh i would look at them and i was like i want one of those but i don't want to get rid of it i gotta wait for the right one i gotta wait for the right one and then um one of the guys that used to work at nerd andy he was super into scrub pythons. He taught me how to work with reticulated pythons. He taught me how to work with, you know, some of the venomous stuff. He taught me so many different things. He's just like this, like legendary dude to me. Um, but he knew that I was into scrub pythons. And so like six years ago, he calls me because I was living in Maine. He's like, you need to come down to the shop right now. And cause I would come down like once a month and like clean stuff and like hang out and, and talk snakes and see what the new stuff they hatched out is and all this sort of stuff. But it was kind of out of the blue for him to call me. So he calls me and he's like, hey, you need to come down to Nerd right now. Like right now, drop whatever you're doing right now and come to Nerd. And I was like, dude, I'm like, I'm working. I can't just like leave. And he's like, tomorrow, whatever you're doing tomorrow, cancel it. Come down to Nerd tomorrow. And I was like, I can't do tomorrow. I'll come on Saturday. It was two days later. He's like, get here as soon as you can. Just get here, okay? Hangs right. up. Um, so I come down to Nerd. I'm, you know, going through, looking at some reticulated pythons, looking at some ball pythons, looking at bloods and stuff. And then I run into Andy. He's like, did you see them yet? I was like, see what? He's like, go over to that rack over there on the floor, uh, on the, in the hallway. Look at the bottom two rows next to the floor. Look in, look in those tubs. And I was like, what is it? He's like, just look, just go in there and look. So I go over there and it's like a little dark in the hallway. I open up the tub. I'm like, man, this snake is really long. I pull it out into the light. And I see the bars across the back of the neck because the babies are still red. And I was like, are these fucking barnack scrub pythons, dude? He's like, we just got a whole clutch of captive bred baby protoline barnacks, dude. You need to get one. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm walking out with a scrub python today. So I went through and picking through all those scrub pythons. And I was like, I want to get a girl so I can raise it up. And, and I really want to put the effort into it. And I'm going to get the right one. I picked through all the different ones, went through, sexed them all get bit pissed on you know all the whole nine and then it came down to two of them because two of them were just like super chill very curious very inquisitive 
um, and they didn't bite. They didn't pee on me or anything like that. So I'm holding both of them in my hands like this and just like staring at them. And then this one over here struck at this one over here because it like moved too quick. And I was like, okay, not that one. I'm taking this one right here. And that's Janet. That's my 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 favorite barnack. And I've had her for six years now. And I raised her up from a little tiny little noodle. Yeah. And she's like maybe 11 feet long right now. And nice. anyone who meets her, she's the best scrub python you're ever going to meet in your life. I don't use a hook to take her out. All I do is I open up her enclosure. I take my hat, lay it like this right on the top of her just gently as soon as i lay it like that i can take it put it back on my head and scoop her right up she doesn't bite she doesn't strike she's only bit me once in her entire life and it's 100 percent my fault i was walking with her from outside to inside i was uh in a dark hallway and i went to go grab my door handle and i whacked her in the face because i couldn't see where she was so she like reached back boom hit me real quick that's the only time she's ever bit me in her entire life and i've had her for six years now she's the coolest snake my favorite snake, like hands down the best snake. Like I can hand her off to anybody and she's amazing. She's great. She's like the how best long have, snake ever. How long have you had the home? I had the Hamahara for two and a half years. And how's that been? Uh, up and down. They're, they're tough. I had a pair of them and the female was doing really great, really great, really great. Um, she dumped her water dish. And in two days, started to develop skin blisters. Skin blisters mm. wouldn't go away, and she just dropped dead. Like maybe wow. five days later, like so quick. Damn. And it was a bummer because I had her for probably a year before that happened. And uh, so I've had this male. I've been, you know, raising him up for two years. He's super secretive. I really don't mess with him at all. Like I, I let him just do his thing. I do not mess with him at all. I don't even take pictures of him because I'm just like I don't want to mess with him too much. Yeah. Um, but he's like maybe seven feet long, six or seven feet long. I've had him for yeah, like two and a half years now. Those um, are my favorites out of the scrubs. It's just so bizarre that they're so much more. Uh, they're unusual. They're definitely yeah, unusual. Just, I just, like them a lot, but I like the Barnicks the most. Just being more sensitive compared to the other other scrubs. Yeah. You know, it's, it's I think that people just don't leave him alone enough, honestly. Because mm -hmm. like I since I started leaving him alone, he's done great. He you know he eats uh, pre killed or frozen thawed. You know kill a rat. Leave it in the tub right next to him. He'll eat yeah. it overnight. Don't have to mess with him. You know, I, I pull him out uh, once every week or once every two weeks to do cleaning. And I just, like, put him on a hook, set him down someplace, like, away from me. I clean the stuff over here, hook him right back into the enclosure, close it back up, and that, that's where he stays. And he does his thing, and I don't mess with him. So he's, he's cool. I mean, he's really nice. pretty, but I still mess with him. Yeah. Very cool, man. And that's such a good feeling, like, when you're telling the story about getting – she said Janet was her name? Mm-hmm. Dude, like that's the best feeling like you know like that's yours you know mm -hmm. and yeah then now i get so many people who are like i want a janet baby and i'm like you guys gotta wait if i ever produce babies from her that whole first clutch i'm holding back i'm just gonna keep all of them because it's just so sentimental to me yeah. and i've got a i got a male prada line barnack that i've been trying to breed to her the last couple of years uh this past season she went up to 35 millimeter follicles i can feel it feels like eggs inside of her wow. and then no eggs so I don't, I don't know. I'm missing something. I don't know what I'm missing, but I got her right up to the point where she should be ovulating. I can ultrasound. I can see the the things inside of her. No eggs. So, well, I, you know, you live and you learn. Hey, I, yeah. I'm, I like I said, I'm not an expert. I'm just another reptile guy, just trying my thing. Um, it's all part of know. the adventure. Yeah, I'll figure it out at some point. If I honestly, if I never breed scrubs, I don't care. I don't yeah. care. Because once I, once I breed them, then people are going to want to buy them from me, and I don't want to sell them to people. I like yeah. them too much. 
Yeah. Look at Chuck Poland. He's breeding the Halmaharas and he's just like hoarding them all. He's got all these nice Halmaharas he's raising up. That's what I'd be doing. Awesome. But yeah. Very so cool. she got her name. Um, I have you seen Rocky Horror Picture Show? Yeah. I saw that movie two days before I got her, and I had never seen it before. Really? But when I was holding her, yeah, when I was holding her, I was like, I was just like, damn, damn it. And I was like, damn it, Janet. Janet's her name. That's it. Mm-hmm. So that's her name. Very cool, man. Very cool. <laughs> it's a, a great, great name. Good, I love good, it. good story, man. I love it. Throws people off because they're like, Janet? What is a Janet? Is that <laughs> like your friend? And I'm like, no, no, no. That's my, that's my, uh, Leonze. That's my, that's my babe. Oh, yeah. That's my number one. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hell oh, yeah. What so do you have any scrubs right now? Do you have any scrubs right now? Me? Either of you? No. Nope. I had a cannon bar. Phil yeah. gave it to me as a gift. It yeah. now res- it now resides with Dr. Wyman. Yeah, tannin bars are a pain in the butt. I had a tannin bar and I sold it. <laughs> dude, too it was, dude, he was totally cool with me, man. I don't know what Justin did. So. Mine was a psychopath. Piss and like as soon as you touch it with a hook, yep. zing, yep. it just shoots yep. off and then pisses everywhere and turns around and bites mm-hmm. you. And I was like, okay, I don't. And like I'm I'm a person who believes that like if you take your time and you're gentle with stuff, you can really win them over because scrubs are so smart. They're so smart, man. Even ones that are like bad, they're smart. You can, you can work with them. You can build trust with them and, and get them to a point where they're workable. But that tannin bar, man, that was tough. It was tough to try and rationalize or get it to rationalize what I'm doing and and that I'm not there to hurt it. And that I'm just being gentle with it and, you know, all this stuff. So, yeah, man, I get it. I, I, I like that Run snake shit a lot. Bite in that order. <clears throat> yeah. No, dude, that snake, that snake never bit me. It never shit on me. It would give me a hard time getting them out of the enclosure. But like, once I got out of the enclosure, I would literally let it like just wrap around my bicep and just chill. Mm-hmm. I'd clean its cage, and then I just like hold my bicep like this, and it would oh, just yeah. go go right in. Mm-hmm. So I think it was delirious. It. <sighs> Wyman got bit by it, and there was a picture today of it on his banister wrapped around it. But, and I was but like, see? No, 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 no. Wyman explains to why Wyman was, Dr. Wyman was walking up his stairs, and it, it slithered off of him onto the banister, and it he let it. Turned around. around. Well, no, yeah, he let it, he let it anchor down, mm. and then it, it was like, oh, I got a branch now. Look at me. Mm-hmm. And then he went to go remove it, and it whapped him. Yeah. But, but dude, again, that's it's, had he not let it do that, he was holding it. Everything was been fine. I'm not so sure. <laughs> I'm not too convinced. funny. I kept it, Phil. I saw what I saw, man. I know. <laughs> I, know. I experienced that that bastard on a weekly basis with cleaning, and it was it was always like I'd rather deal with the Jansen I ten times over than I would that, that scrub man. See, I think also I think maybe you just interacted with him too much because like I only I really cleaned, didn't though. I only cleaned his cage like once a month. He got a he got a rat every like other week, and I would just put it in there. He'd eat it. Life was good. So you messed yeah. with him too much. He's just a pain because once he was anchored onto something, you can't get him you, off. You, yeah. you weren't getting him off. That was his. He owned it. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I love them scrubs. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> They're just so smart. I love that. And it's it's such a, a trip because on my podcast I talk about Scrub Python sometimes. And then I'll get people who message me and they're like, dude, I listen to you talk about scrub pythons. I'm like, I really want to get one. And I'm like, don't, please don't. Like, do you, do you have any idea what you're getting yourself into? Like, yeah, I'm excited about scrub pythons. I have been keeping snakes for almost 20 years. I've worked with just about every kind of snake. And I think that they're interesting. And, and I, I'm going to take the time to understand the mechanics of what's going on in his brain and everything. A lot of people get them because they're like, oh, they're cool. And it's like they're not thinking about what's going on upstairs. And the scrub is always thinking about what's going on upstairs. (laughs) So, like, I was listening to you guys talking to Christian about the the scrubs that he's got and and talk about their strike range and everything. And you you don't – like, people don't realize, like, most snakes – they're like, oh, they'll use like maybe a third of their body for a strike range. Scrub pythons use a half of their body and they use every inch of that half. They don't do half-ass strikes. Like when they strike, they know they can touch you. Most snakes, they just kind of throw a strike out there because they're trying to scare you. Scrubs calculate and they They wait until they know. Exactly. They know that they can touch you. They don't strike unless they are confident that they're going to make contact with something. Yeah, I love that. I love that, and most people are not ready for that. <laughs> they are the most most velociraptor like snake, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense that I ever mm-hmm. that I ever was around mm-hmm. in terms of like just like the watching and the you know the the, the moving and like the thinking mm-hmm. and the you know I know Phil's sitting there rolling his eyes, but it's true. Dude, it's no, so, no, no, it's you're, so you're, cool. Yeah. I break like, your, I, I break your balls about the the tannin bar, but. But yeah, you are a hundred percent correct. Like even with even around Jake's, like as soon as you walk in the room, he's sitting there waiting. He's like, I know someone's gonna try it. About to go down. Yep. (laughs) It's so funny because you talk to people who just keep articulated pythons and they're like, These are the smartest snakes on the planet, bro. Look at look at how tough and smart they are. And it's like I watch articulated pythons all day long chewing on water dishes because they're like it's the it's the rat i got it oh, no. oh, I, and then chewing yeah. on the side of the enclosure and shit you never ever see a scrub python doing that ignorant stuff you you go in with a hook and the scrub python goes right up to it but doesn't bite it they they bump it with their nose and they go oh this isn't this is not the threat and then they look around and they're like where is the hand that's holding this yeah. hook because they know that there's something attached to it that is causing this hook to be here you put a hook in with a reticulated python there trying to swallow the damn thing and like chewing up and down it and trying to constrict it you're like dude it's a branch why are you trying to constrict a branch are you stupid yeah that was I my first know. impression with jake's when he got his initially from from david and it was like as soon as because it got shipped to me because Jake had to work that day or something, and I think mm-hmm. I went over to his house when he got it to set it up and like taking it out the cup, um, or no, it was at my house. Like he came and picked it up and we took it out, and it was immediate. Like it was it was small. It was a baby, and it was like, "What's up?" Like scoping things right out. Here, yeah. yeah, ready to go. No fear. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And that thing that thing still has zero fear. Like it's it's. Bizarre seeing that in a snake where they clearly they're very like the confidence level I guess confident they're so confident like like, they no 
They doesn't help matter how big or small they are. They they're not afraid. They don't care. King Cobra confidence. People talk about King Cobras as being like this next level. I, I look at like Kings up here and then Scrubs are like just below them. Like real damn close. Real close. Except that Tannen bar. The Tannen bar would run and then once no, he not, realized once he realized count. the jig was up, then he was like, <laughs> All right. He's like, Now I guess I'm now I guess I'm gonna have to hurt you. Yeah, Tannen bars don't count. They're not scrubs. They're scrubs, but they're not scrubs. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Any of the other scrubs, you look at them and the way that they interact, and they're just different. They're different than everything else. Like I hear people talk about the uh, the Pop One Pythons, Apodora, and they're like they're similar like that. And I haven't really worked. I've worked with a few Apodora here, um, and they're kind of scrub like. But I've worked with way more scrubs, and the the intelligence I see out of scrub pythons blows what everything. About the else Bolins, how do those compare to the the Barnex? Meh. Uh, our Bolins are lazy. Because, like, a lot of the, the first Bolins that got imported, you know, they talk about, oh, they'll headbutt you, and they'll, like, you know, they won't bite you. They'll, like, test you to see what you're doing and all this stuff. I've been working with Bolins pythons for almost 10 years now, um, and almost all the Bolins that I've worked with have been ones that have been raised up from babies, and they're like a carpet python. They seem they're very dopey. sleepy. Yeah, they're, they're just like that. They're super sleepy pick them up they just cruise they don't yeah. you know I, i've very rarely my biggest bite from a snake was from a bolens python but it was a it was a feeding bite i thought i was feeding it um but in general they're super sleepy slow moving you know i honestly i'm not a i'm not a big bolens fan so i i don't know you know why it's because you've actually worked with them yeah you've yes actually, that's exactly <laughs> why i've i've worked yeah. with them for 10 years now and i've had to I've had to scrape poop off the ceiling of tubs and the ceilings of enclosures and off the <laughs> sides of things. I'm like, oh, cool. It's a Kribo, but a eight foot long or 10 foot long Python. Sweet. That's my favorite. <laughs> I mean, I definitely appreciate it for what they are. And, and the Riverbank Zoo oh, yeah. in Columbia here has, has a really nice display of like a trio of them. And they're really cool snakes to look at. But I can I can understand like there's this sort of romanticized idea of them. That I feel like I want everyone else to do them like, so I don't have to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want everybody else to enjoy them so I don't have to. Yeah, like I feel I want like everybody else buy them. Me me personally, if you took the price tag away, I think they're amazing animals, but that's the snake to me that like somebody else has them and I just go play with theirs. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? <laughs> so yep. you never have to clean the tank. That's the best part. Yeah. I got enough poo in the ceiling as it is. I don't need more. Yeah. For real. For real, Vic wants to know if you've ever done anything with ring pythons. Uh, no, Bothachillus, no, I have not. We we had some at Nerd very briefly. We sold them like immediately, which was like, I still lament having to do that, but it is uh, what it every is, so. everyone I've talked to that's that's dealt with that. They're like they're for, shitty. Yeah, <laughs> they for any amount of time, they're, they're like terrible. they're horrible. Mm -hmm. Like they're pretty, yeah. but that's about where the buck stops. You know, it's like. Casey hmm. Cannon's talked about it. He's like, I like they're cool and all, but he's like, I freaking hate them. You know, they, they I'm, suck. I'm, yeah. I'm curious to see if, if it's just people um, coming at them with a different mentality, because like when I talk to people who hate scrub pythons, a lot of them are like, well, I would like grab it out of the enclosure and it would just light me up the whole time. And then it would piss all over me and it hated me. And I'm like, yeah, if you treat them like that, they're going to treat you like that. And they're not going to trust you, and they're going to bite you. In a threatening you. manner, they're going to feel threatened. You know? Yeah, yeah. And um, 
and they're not a snake that you can do that with. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to see if people took like a little bit of time and like really, yeah, you know, worked with them from a young age and got them. Like I know some people who are very gentle handlers, and they're they still say that theirs are crappy. Like you know, not crappy, but they they bite and they're. I think they yeah, they're naturally like going to be. They're like Amazons, you know. They're naturally going to mm-hmm. be a little more high strung than sort of your average yeah. whatever. Which so is it's to be. It's there's okay a level of it to be expected. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay with Amazons because you can hook an Amazon like on one hook and it's not too heavy to yeah. lift up. But like an adult ring python, mm-hmm. even on two hooks is going to be pretty heavy. So like you can't you can't really just, you know, you got to figure something out at that point. But I, yeah, and I found that to be the case with the Jansen I too. You know, if you're slow and you're kind of you're more, a little more gentle with them, you know, they're much easier to, to move around and work with. And if you just go mm-hmm. in there, guns blazing, you know, trying to yank them out of the, you know, the court tube, and mm-hmm. then that's when they they get squirrely. But if you're, it's almost like like the hurt locker. <laughs> if, if you're slow and you you know methodical, you don't have mm-hmm. to worry about it exploding. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Hell yeah. Yeah, and those, I, I mean, the, I, the, the, the Ganyasoma are, are pretty high strung to begin with. So, I mean, it's one of those things where I think that's to make life easier, slow down. Yeah, we got we got some Jansen I here, and then we just got some um, some baby Jansen I in. So, um, and then we're, you know, we we got a variety of other weird colubrids going on right now. So, so speaking of weird colubrids, can we ask about the divergence? And what's going Absolutely. on? Absolutely. What do you want to know? So you produced all these amazing babies. Are you guys holding them all back, or did they some get sold to private individuals, or what? Um, the babies that we produced, we held all of them back. Okay. Uh, main reason being is that uh, our females are murderers and ate three males. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. That's so we crazy. held back all the uh, all the babies that we produced. Uh, we had issues with the first clutch of eggs with it being the eggshells being too thick where the babies were not able to slice through. Thick. Yeah. We've, we figured out a way to mitigate for that and to incubate better so that we get better. Cause we saw it in the divergence and the melanota we, mm-hmm. that we produced here um, issues with both of them with the thick eggshells. Um, but we found a, a different way of incubating them now that, allows them to hatch out much easier and the the last two Do you notice they hatch out of the the top of the egg rather than like the side like they come out like one of the ends yeah usually yeah yeah i mean a little bit yeah it depends on the individual ones um the the divergence they just cut wherever they didn't really give a shit but the uh the melanota we definitely noticed a lot on the ends Mm -hmm. seems like they they cut right on cyanea a lot the Mm -hmm. the two clutches i hatched to those it was very common for them to be coming out of the end so now, yeah. what caused what caused that that hardened egg? Is that a captive thing, or is that how it is in the wild, or what? No idea. I think they're just naturally super humidity. hard, thick shell because the cyan yeah. eggs were unbelievably thick, given how yeah. you know small the eggs are and stuff. It's I just think and then I think it also has to way. do with the humidity levels because mm-hmm. um, now basically what we're doing is we're doing um, hatch right uh, in a box, dig out a trough bury the eggs a little bit and then do a big thing of damp sphagnum moss on top of them and then incubate at that like 83 to 85 degrees. Okay. And, 
the last two clutches that have hatched out with our partner who's working with us um, has been 100% hatch rate. Nice. And we haven't had any issues with those those eggs hatching out. So um, the Buiga stuff is, you know, Kevin's got uh, a few adult of the divergence. We're raising up a, a few more. Uh, we got some imported from Europe last year that we brought in to sell. We sold them basically right away. I know everyone wants those diversions. So people are going crazy with them. And then we got the albino melanota. Um, he's been breeding. And then uh, Kevin bred him to the divergence twice. So we got some babies from that cross that we're raising up. Um, they look don't they don't look anything like divergence. They look like melanota. Yeah, they don't. They look they look like a produced pattern sort of melanota. Yeah, yeah. which is weird. Not mm-hmm. not what we expected, <laughs> or not what Kevin expected really. Um, Let me ask this: on when the divergence ate each other, was that because of a size difference, or is that is that indicative of the sub of the species, or what? The one of the males was the same fucking size as the female. She swallowed him, and then a day later, puked him back up. It's been documented in Cyania, but I never had any issues with it. We've had this is like the the year twenty twenty was the year of stupid things eating things. Our black headed python female ate the male. Um, the the divergence the the female ate two males twenty twenty. Um, you know, we, we had a, a one of our big female monitors try to eat one of our smaller male monitors like. Ooh. So, like, on those, are you keeping them together, or is it just during the pairing process, or what? During pairing, but we, we pair them for a week, you know, a week okay. on, a week off, stuff like that. Um, it depends. Like, now we've been a lot more careful, so we'll throw them in overnight and then take them right out, um, you know, the next day just to be on the safe side because, you know, it's not worth the risk, basically. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. And, yeah. So yeah, we got we got a different a bunch of different stuff going on with the Buiga project stuff. Uh, the divergence have been put on hold because of all that bullshit with the females. Um, we got two males that are just getting close to breeding size now, so we'll be back to breeding pure divergence again. Probably yeah, y'all, next y'all upset a lot of people in the Boiga groups. With the- Listen, here's the deal. I hate hybrids. I had nothing to do with that. The only reason you guys even knew that they were hybrids is because I make the social media posts. Because otherwise it would have just been these are head albinos. I was in the the Boiga group and I've ever someone posted the picture of like that albino male and the divergence curled up together mm-hmm. and there all the European guys were losing their minds. I have nothing to do with it. Nerd is known for hybrids. Kevin has been doing hybrids for twenty five years. I'm not a hybrid person. I hate hybrids, so I don't have anything to do with any of those projects. Um, but I do report on whatever we produce so if if it's a hybrid and i post the picture of it it's going to be labeled as a hybrid yeah i mean i don't have a problem with hybrids as long as people say that that's what it is you know so i hate them i want to feed them to the king cobras when i see them hatch out i'm like right into the king cobras what are we doing with these get them out of here oh man so are you gonna are you guys gonna try and breed kings yeah oh yeah we have we have seven king cobras here what i'm saying though but have you guys have you bred them before or no um, we tried to breed them two years ago. We had a female that, uh, our venomous guy had bought, a, bought as a juvenile and raised up. Um, and then th- I want to see, I can't remember exactly what happened. It was either that, I think that she ovulated and then passed away right after she ovulated. 
Um, okay. Don't know what ended up happening with that. But we've got um, we've got three females and Lilith that we're raising up, and then we have four males, uh, including the hetlucistic male. Cool. Cool. And are you guys going to try and do the nest thing or no? The what? You guys going to try and do the nest thing or no? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We have a, we have an entire room that's basically built like the inside of a cave. So we, we were talking about um, sealing that room when she's getting ready to nest, filling it with leaf litter, trying to allow her to nest and, and do it like that. Because right now our biggest female is in a eight by three by two enclosure. Uh, Lilith, she's an eight by three by two. And, you know, being able to build a nest in that area probably yeah. would be pretty tough. So yeah, it'd be, it'd be real tight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's awesome, man. I, I hope you guys document her building it. Cause that would be stupendous. Mm -hmm. I know, yeah. I know Bronx zoo did a couple pairings and they had some success and they pulled clutches and stuff. But I know they also had a bunch of moms eat dads, which like, mm -hmm. I hate to say like it's to be, to be expected, but what, however they did the room, the one time, the one pictures I saw, the room was only like six by six. It was like six wide by six tall, but it was like twelve deep, if that makes mm -hmm. any sense. And mm -hmm. the the nest was just the entire room. It was just like it was like wow. a three foot tall thing, but they didn't document her doing it. And building think, it yeah and i think like if you you guys you guys have the space you guys have the knowledge base you guys have the animals to do it like i would love for you guys to, like stick a couple cameras in there you know what i'm saying yeah, and record yeah especially yeah. we've got all the we've got night vision cameras we've got gopros we got all that stuff so i'm sure that when we get to that point it it will be something that they do the room is big enough where we can literally set up gopros in every corner and you know have full coverage of the entire room It'll just be a matter of making sure that everything in the room is sealed, making sure that we have a way to access the room safely without having to worry about opening the door to a King Cobra yeah, and doing stuff yeah. like that. So cool, man. That's awesome. And then uh, what, so what else in that, that venomous room you just have with all those new cages, what else is in there that you guys keep for like you guys? So that room is brand like, those enclosures just got here a week ago. We haven't even finished setting them up yet. So we only moved in like five animals. We moved in three gaboons and I think two of the king cobras. So okay. we really haven't moved moved in most of our stuff. We've got a lot of venomous snakes here. We just don't really record a lot of video with them. Okay. Um, so we've got probably 30 or 40 timber rattlesnakes. We've got Damn. prairie rattlesnakes. We've got red Carolina pygmy rattlesnakes. We've got dusky rattles, the dusky pygmy rattlesnakes. We've got Arizona black tail rattlesnakes we've got uh albino west you know, albino atrox we've got um trans pecos copperheads we got broad banded copperheads we got southern copperheads we've got red spitting cobras we have black and white spitting cobras we have king cobras we have uh rhino vipers gaboon vipers we have puff adders we have uh tremiseris insularis we have nice. Uh, the flat nose, the arboreal flat nose viper. I can't think of the Panisius. Yeah, we, we got those ones. Um, we've got uh, Atheris chlorecus. Yeah. Uh, what else? I'm I'm gonna forget things. We got we got probably seventy individual venomous snakes. Um, you know, of twenty to thirty species, roughly. We have nice. lepidus. We've got. Uh, I'm forgetting stuff. We, we got a whole bunch of stuff. So a lot of that stuff is going to be on display down here. 
Um, we're waiting on six foot enclosures and a couple bigger enclosures for Kings to come so we can put some big Kings on display downstairs. But we're going to have, we're planning on doing those enclosures. The ones that you guys saw earlier um, with most of the stuff that we've got available or not available, but the stuff that we have right now. And then along the top of those enclosures, we're going to be doing wagglers and um, Schlegli and, you know, Subannulatus and all that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah, so. cool, man. Very cool. I can't wait to see that. It's gonna be awesome. Me too, man. It's been a long time coming. We've been talking about changing our venomous room for five years. So, being able to have a bigger, safer space to work with the animals and to be able to record videos and show them off a little bit better, have a space where the public can come in and see a Gaboon Viper on display or see a yeah. King Cobra on display is pretty cool. We're the only place in New England that has got exotic venomous snakes on display that's awesome it's crazy man like i know myself and a couple of my you know reptile colleagues and like we, we, we take a lot of stuff for granted you know like i mean I've, mm -hmm. dude, I've kept kaboons for as long as i've kept snakes so like <laughs> i don't i don't think like that but when you say like not even the zoos have them by you like, yep. that's a big deal man that's awesome yeah yeah there's no place you can go in new england and see venomous snakes on display besides uh the museum of science i think because currently all of our zoos around here, they don't they don't have any venomous snakes, at least to my knowledge. Last several times that I've been to the zoos and looked at the reptile houses, nobody's got venomous snakes. They got like a retic, and they're like, "Woo, spicy!" <laughs> you know, a Kenyan sambo and an anaconda, and they think that they've got the coolest things on the block. <clears throat> nice, nice, yeah. yeah, good shit, man. Yeah, so, I, I can't wait so people can see more stuff because uh, education is the huge, like the biggest thing when it comes to all this, you know. Yeah, man. Of course, we gotta we gotta sculpt the the, the next generation and the generation after that, you know. Mm -hmm. So that when the three of us are crotchety old men, you know, <laughs> we, we can know we're that. already there. Yeah, we are already. Yeah, that's true. yeah, that is true. yeah. I did a a tour yesterday for a like ten year old girl who. Uh, she doesn't have any snakes yet, but she's in love with reptiles. She watches Emily from Snake Discovery. She's like, I want to get a bull snake as my first snake. I really, really want to get a pit to Ophis. And I, uh, you know, she's looking at the ball python. I like these ball pythons and corn snakes and the okatees and the palmettos and this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, how old are you again? She's like, oh, I'm like 10 years old. I'm like, holy shit, man. Like, that's crazy. That's the next generation. And last Did week I had a pit Ophis, man. Literally, we don't even have any in the building. I couldn't even show her the one. So oh. I was just like, so good. I was like, I was like, man. But she she watches all Emily's videos and all sort of stuff. And then last week I had a girl who's like maybe six or seven years old. She brought her stuffed Komodo dragon, and she's like, I love Komodo dragons. They're my favorite. So she's looking at the water monitors, petting a big albino water monitor, and looking at the croc monitors. And That's she's awesome. just in love with all the giant lizards and stuff. And she's like seven years old. She's just like in love with them. So like getting to see all these, you know, the next generation of kids coming in and they're just like in love with. Doesn't that get you pumped about the stuff that you get to like, even the simple stuff that, that we see on a daily basis or that's super common mm -hmm. in the hobby, like just hundred percent that sort of enthusiasm mm -hmm. and, and stuff for something that, that we would consider simple and sort of common, you know, just, mm -hmm. you can't help but get a little yeah, contagious to a degree. Mm -hmm. And just, That's like, we, we were talking about it. I think last show or show before about, you know, when we were vending Daytona, we had those QR code business cards yeah. and like every kid that came by the table, they were all under the age of 12 stickers and cards, stickers. Hey. And like, and here's a, here's a, here's a sticker. Here's a gummy bracelet. And here's mm -hmm. a card. You see this QR code. 
have your mom and dad scan this and you can read all these magazines for free. And the kid's like, mm-hmm. that's it. That's what it's about. Hell yeah. That is what it's about. That's what it's all about. Uh, doesn't get better than that. Doesn't get better than that. So <laughs> what do you personally want to do on the horizon? You got like things for the future that like species you want to get or projects you want to do? Um, yeah, I mean, there's always more stuff that I want to do. Um, I would like to, honestly, what I want to do is I want to upgrade all my scrub enclosures. I want to get bigger enclosures for all my scrubs and, uh, upgrade my, uh, rack systems for my short tails and, um, do a lot of upgrading as far as that stuff goes. I would love to get some Malukan scrubs at some point. Um, I want to get some palmetto corn snakes just because I think that they're cool. And when I do educational programs, they make for a really cool snake to bring out. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, you bring out an okatee and people are like, wow, that's pretty. And I'm like, yeah, now look at Funfetti over here. And then people lose their <laughs> mind. And yeah. Everyone thinks it's the coolest thing ever. So I want to get a palmetto corn. I really want to get some Malukan scrubs. I would like to get a couple more barnacks um, just because just I love them. And venomous stuff. I would love to be able to own venomous on my own, like do my own little thing. I, I really love rhino vipers. I would like to have my own little collection of rhino vipers. Um, and like uh, the melosis, the crotalus melosis, uh, willardi. I would love to get some of those. Lepidus. I like those too. And if, if I can get them in the United States, uh, fees vipers, you know, is yeah. yeah, those are. Those are the, those are the dream. The Mike Vessio's got those. Yeah. It was in that reptiles, all venomous issue at one point. They did, they had an article mm -hmm. on them and I was like, what the hell is that? It's purple oh, and orange. And it's got so a cool. bright head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, th those are like hands down, probably my favorite snake. I just, I'm so in love with those things. They're so cool. So if I could get some of those, that would be really cool. Uh, hardly ever imported into the U S and, you know, they always come in dehydrated and you know, all this, that, and the other thing. So no, I'm sure I would like to work with some venomous stuff at some point, but honestly, I've got a lot of the stuff that I want. Cool. You know, working, you know, being as connected as I am in the hobby with the different people that I am, I, I am able to get a lot of the stuff that I want to get. And, you know, there's some people who are just like, I, I need more and more and more and more after working at a place that's got, 7,000 or 10,000 reptiles in it. I just want to have a nice little reptile room where I can just watch stuff and just enjoy it. Yeah, man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Where's that? Well, we're almost at the witching hour. Where can <laughs> people find you? Um, if you want to see the stuff if that I'm doing personally. Yeah, yeah exactly. if you're not following yeah. me already, um, <laughs> check me out on Instagram at Rob is creeping it real because I'm creeping it real. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's mostly just my animals on there. Like I said, I post nerd stuff sometimes. I always tag nerd if I post anything that's theirs. So if you're ever questioning whether or not it's mine or nerds, if you see the New England reptile tag, it's nerds. Um, if it's not tagged New England reptile, it's mine, like my personal stuff. I, I generally prefer to keep it a little bit separate uh yeah. there's a lot of people who just like oh i'm just gonna just post all the rare shit that everybody else has got and not any of my own things i'd rather just post my own stuff and that's the thing like jeremy was talking about the other day with with will uh, rob you don't post enough stuff on instagram and i'm like i only post stuff when i want to like i'm not i'm 
I'm not one of those people who's like, I'm a YouTube creator guy. Like when I'm on camera, I can be like that, but I just post what I like. And so on my YouTube channel, I post stuff that I find interesting on my Instagram. I post stuff that I find interesting. And if it's not something that's motivating me to post it, I don't post it. So, you know, check out my Instagram, Rob is creeping real. I'm on TikTok. I know. Right. And what could you imagine? Could you imagine? Um, (laughs) I'm on TikTok. Rob is creeping it real. Um, don't add me on Facebook, please. I got too many freaking people on Facebook. Um, I I'm nearing that 5,000 friend cap and I don't really want to hit it. So, um, don't add me on Facebook, but Instagram's the best Man, place. I just Check went it out. through and purged my, my friends list the other day. Like I, mm-hmm. I started seeing I people. Do that. I'm like, I don't even remember adding you and I'd never talked to you. Mm-hmm. I just, it's mm-hmm. nothing. It's just like, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a little more picky about who I add, you know, the Facebook sort of blinded society with the whole like, friends term, you know, and it's like, if you mm-hmm. unfriend someone on Facebook, that's somehow like a slight against mm-hmm. them. It's like, I just, yeah. yeah. Stupid. Yeah. I, I know that I personally time. know about a thousand of my friends, at least a thousand of the people that I'm friends with on Facebook. I know in person at yeah. least. Um, but I do have like 4,000 something friends on there. So like, it's only a quarter of the people on my friends list that I actually know in person. So, you know, uh, I post things publicly sometimes on there. Most of the time I just post stuff for my friends that are on there. So I try and network a little bit, but I'm over it, man. If people want to find me on Instagram, find me on Instagram. I eventually I'll have stuff on morph market. I guess if I'm going to sell some of my babies I produced this year, I'll sell some stuff on morph market. I have a YouTube channel. I think it's Rob is creeping a real. It's either creeping a real with Rob or Rob is creeping a real. Look up Rob and creeping a real. You'll find me. It's there. I'm there. <laughs> Love it. And check out reptile talk and then check out new England reptile. Uh, so new Eng- at new England reptile on Instagram and then at reptile dot talk. Check out our podcast and then check out nerd. And if you guys got questions, shoot me a message on Instagram. Don't message me on Facebook. I don't have a Facebook app or Facebook messenger. So Message me on Instagram. I answer messages on Instagram. So if you have a burning question, if I didn't answer your question, if you're going, why did you guys breed this thing? Uh, you can message me and I'll tell you, I don't know. Kevin wanted to breed it. So he bred it. And that's what we did. So nice. awesome, man. This is what it is. Well, dude, I'm glad we got you on, man. It was a long time coming. Hell yeah. Yeah. I got to have you guys on, on reptile talks. Yeah. I want to do individual episodes and then maybe a group episode group episodes get hectic, but I definitely want to get you guys on individually yeah. so we can talk yeah. about tiles, man. Let's have some fun. Hell yeah, uh, we, Hell yeah. I found the the more, the more people in the room, the, the less gets covered. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially cause I go off on these tangents where I just talk for 10 minutes and then I'm like, Oh shit, there's other people here. <laughs> yeah. Reptile just keeper. Move quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Reptile keeper means departure from conversation. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly what that means. Because I'm ADHD, like off the charts. So yeah. it is what it is. It's not squirrel, it's snake. Right? Yep. Snake. Yeah. Snake. <laughs> Hell yeah. Dude, Thanks for having me on, guys. I Thanks, man. We appreciate oh, yeah. it. Stuff. Later. Well, Smitty, any closing remarks? Uh, nope. I went to other than I well I went to Dollar Tree today, loaded up on a bunch of containers. People need to stop sleeping on Dollar General and Dollar Tree, man. If you need water bowls and stuff and like little feeding containers, whatever. Do you have one to show us? I don't at the moment, but 
like I had to get some some there's perfect size water bowls like for the six quart tubs and then there's some perfect size little sauce cups that work really well for humid hides for all the smaller stuff it's just like you go to dollar tree man and there's not a size there that that doesn't fit something that you need it for like they got everything it's it's perfect so yeah dude that's that's all i just i love i love dollar tree (laughs) that and walmart five dollar farms yeah i saw jake set up the uh um what the hell one of the corns Seminoles is yellow reds. Seminoles? Oh, yeah. yellow reds. Okay. And he, dude, he had all the, wa- the Walmart $5 ferns. And I was like, I know those plants. <laughs> Worth so, their weight in gold. They are. I'm it's sharing true. some right now behind my computer. Nice. Excellent. Don't not not just for home decor. That's right. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, it's a good show, gentlemen. It was. Good show. We oh, will... Yeah. See everyone later. Episode 134 of THP is happening Thursday. have no idea who we're having on, but it will be there. So, Cool. Thanks again, guys. See you.